uh, uh, I'm a friend of Abraham, but we would sit down and, and, and break bread together. And uh, I had a, one of my guys that I was working with, uh, he was a, a vascular trauma surgeon. And when there would be trauma, limbs um, severed or whatever, he would repair the blood vessels so that they would flow again. And he told me, he said, Pastor Michael, I've never had anybody on my table before I operated on them stop me and say, you're not a Muslim, are you? He said, nobody is there. They just want to know, could I do my job? And so in marketplace ministry, of course, we teach whether it's the government mountain, religious mountain, um, um, arts and entertainment, et cetera. And you know all the seven mountains, I'm sure. Um, even in the home family, um, if a person is the only believer in a place, they're the highest ranking spiritual authority in that place. You can work at a car wash and everybody there is a sinner. He said, I'm getting out of here because I'm a sinner. Don't, don't take the light. You're the only light there. You're the only one washing those cars, declaring protection over it and everything else. I mean, why would you leave that place? You know, so marketplace ministry is huge. But one of the things I found, and, and you all need this revelation to empower and enact and activate the gifts within your church so that they don't think ministry is reduced to what you do on Sundays in midweek. But the other thing you've got to watch is that there are people with callings to the fivefold ministry that I've seen step down from their fivefold ministry calling and saying, well, anything I do is considered ministry. If you have a fivefold calling to preach the gospel, you fulfill that gospel. You fulfill that calling. But I've had people who were called to preach the gospel that said, so anything I do is ministry? Well, shoot, I'm not going to preach. I'm going to go start me a business and are making more money than they've ever done. Because they said, well, you said the marketplace ministry was everywhere. You said business owners were in ministry. You said school teachers were in ministry. You said this, so I have left the pulpit to go make more money, and I call that ministry too. That is not. And so I've had many people now that are being used in major industries but are called of God to preach, and they're not preaching anymore because they say, I make cakes, and the cakes that I make, I put John 3.16 on the bottom so therefore I've, therefore I've done everything that God's called me to do. And again, if the Lord's called you to be a missionary, don't stoop to become a king. Um, so empowering your people in schools. You know, 168 hours in a week, we spend about three hours of it in church. Well, depending on what denomination you are. <laughs> I spend three hours or 13 hours in church. Uh, but we spend about three hours in church, about three and a half hours, two hours on Sunday morning, and about an hour and a half at midweek. That leaves 150, 155, 156 hours a week where people are outside. And this is what I was saying earlier. We've got to drill down and be able to tell people how to live outside the church, how to be witnesses for Christ. And it's sad because the only thing we know about witnessing for Christ is knocking on doors. You know what? We're going to go soul winning. Let's knock on doors. And what you need to teach your people to have, and I know Bank is, has a major revelation of this, is to have that third eye and that third ear, that everywhere they are, be sensitive to opportunity for ministry opportunity for witness and it may have been Tupac or it may have been uh, Francis de Assisi I'm not sure but one of them said uh, let's reach the world for Christ and use words only if we have to and just by your work ethic your honor your integrity you are witnessing and sometimes your words which reveal Christ can be undermined by your actions which conceal him and so you want to empower your people to be honorable people to work is unto the Lord. And that is a witness in and of itself. And then their words are substantiated by the character that they have. Uh, when I first was going through ministry school, I worked at McDonald's. I was a maintenance technician, which is basically I cleaned up the vomit in the toilets, you know, in the playground. Um, 
And uh, when they opened up Wednesday morning Bible studies and Friday morning Bible studies, uh, and welcome to those of you online that are back with us. I know many of you from around the world are watching. We thank Will that you guys are on with us. Uh, some of you are like got your, your earbuds in and you're listening at work, you know. Uh, it's good, you know, nobody's going to know. Uh, you know, you're kind of breaking a rule, but you're doing it for Jesus, so that's okay. Uh, I kid, I kid. Uh, but uh, just don't catch the Holy Ghost, uh, you know, at your seat. And thank you. And people wonder what's up, so just keep, you know, just keep typing and typing and praying. Um, now, if you're flying a plane, don't, don't listen, pay attention uh, to what you're doing. But um, I, uh, and I was going to say, what was I talking about? I was thinking about the people online. I was just saying something. Hmm? Yeah, being honorable. Oh, working at McDonald's. And so they opened up They opened up Wednesday and Friday morning Bible studies, and I went to the boss and said, yeah, I got to leave. I was 5 a.m. to 1 p.m. I said, I got to leave because they have a ministry thing at my church. She said, you're not going anywhere. I said, well, this is what I'm here. I'm going through ministry school, and then I guess I have to go. And the district manager came in and said, do not let that guy go. We don't have a clean. We have 11 stores in this city. Never had a cleaner one. Uh, don't let that guy go. Let him come and go as he wants to. As a matter of fact, give him a raise. And they were paying me higher than the manager to clean the place. Uh, and letting me off on Wednesday and Friday morning to go to church because the manner in which you conduct yourself can sometimes speak more loudly for Christ and the excellence by which you carry yourself can somehow. So um, take these revelations that the apostle is sharing, empower your people, activate, place them in ministry because if you're not careful, people think they're on a cruise ship instead of thinking they're on an aircraft carrier. The church is carrying people for mission to do their assignment from God, to glorify Christ in every sphere that they're in. And the church can turn into a spectator sport where they show up each week to see what you're going to do. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, calling is a big thing. You don't choose your calling. It's issued to you. You don't choose the plan of God. You you don't choose your race. You discover it. And we've kind of gotten this, if I feel like it, I will. And you've got to reconnect people with their calling. And the only reason to take a job is you feel like it pleases the Father to take it. The only reason to leave a job is you feel like it pleases the Father for you to leave it. Well, I'm the only one here and they're mean and they didn't give my supervisor a position. And I've been here for 10 years and they're promoting people under me. Well, why haven't you left your job? Because the Lord won't let me go. Exactly. We flow with the seasons of placement of where God has us. And I don't care if they're offering you a 40% raise. If the Lord tells you your season is up there, don't chase mammon. You follow the season of the Lord. And teaching your people those principles uh, will make them more anchored in uh, not what they choose to do for Christ, but what they've been called to do. And that's what our life is about, what we've been called to do. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing because at least it's what I believe uh, God has called me to, to do. So um, let's transition now uh, to uh, some things I want to impart to you this morning. Uh, and this is particularly, you know, this is a ministry. Uh, all of us are in ministry here, I guess, in kind of church traditional what's traditionally thought of a ministry in some form. Uh, I want to talk about how it's going at home. Um, how it's going at home. Um, your ministry life should spring out of your, um, should organically spring out of your authentic Christ life at home. Um, one of the things I've always believed is that uh, no one should get more of the fruit of Christ in your life than the people you live with. No one should be able to partake more richly of who you are in Christ, in his anointing. It's interesting we talk about fruit. Um, you know, the, we, Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, which we talk about the Father on his throne, 
but when they asked him about his miracles, he said, the Father within me, he does the works. You know, the Holy Spirit is the Father within. The Holy Spirit is the Father within. And um, Galatians 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it says, that which his presence within accomplishes. I love that. That which God's presence within us accomplishes. The divine love, the divine joy, the divine peace, the divine long-suffering, the divine gentleness, faithfulness, divine gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is what you bring to every human interaction that you have? The fruit of the Spirit is what we bring to every human interaction that we have. That when you encounter me, what I bring into that encounter is the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and temperance. I bring that to every human interaction. And that is what his presence within accomplishes. Uh, um, you know, we didn't have, they didn't have Facebook, obviously, in, in the days Paul's was living. And the Bible says, Paul said, I was hanging out with the church, but they didn't know my face. There was no picture. There was no way to know. They just heard that a terrorist, you know, Osama bin, uh, Osama bin Salin, right? Uh, this, this, uh, this terrorist who, I mean, that's really what happened. I mean, that's the story. I mean, he, he had a fatwa from his priests. I mean, that's what he did. He got clerical release to carry out missions of violence against a sect he didn't agree with. I mean, that's exactly what happened. He, didn't, he wasn't self-started. He went and got priest permission to hail men and women, violently compel them to blasphemy, whatever it is. But when he came and encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, he fellowshiped with the church, but no one knew who he was. You know, now when, when a person says, oh, so-and-so in our church got married or so-and-so in our church got uh, passed away, I may not know the name, but Connie will say, yeah, yeah, and pull it up on Facebook. You know this lady. I see that picture. Oh, I know her. She was an usher by face. But Paul said, when I was among the believers, they didn't know me by face. They had only heard that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches what he once destroyed. Um, and so he was among them, and they, they did not know him by faith. By face. But the uh, book of Galatians, chapter 1, concludes with this. But they glorified God in me. It says in the King James. The Amplified is so beautiful. They glorified God as the author of what had taken place in me. They recognized that God had made that change in my life. And I'm convinced that authentic ministry springs out of what God is doing in us. I was just talking to pastor, one of the pastors between uh, the break, and, and he was telling me that you know he's digging into these Pauline revelations and God is really transforming him. And he's had friends, family, etc., key relationships that said, you know, I don't doctrinally grasp all the stuff necessarily. There it is on the Amplified on your screen or my, left shoulder, my right shoulder here. The glorified God is the author and source of what had taken place in me. My God, is there anything more beautiful than that right there? You know, that, I mean, is there anything more powerful than... That because Paul didn't have a religious conversion to new lists, he got delivered from lists and rules to a true, authentic relationship with Christ. So this brother was telling me between service, between the sessions here, he said, uh, he said I've got people around me that don't understand or not grasping the doctrine that I'm saying, but he says they tell me this: we see a difference in you. We don't we don't fully catch this Pauline grace thing that you're preaching, but you're more gentle but you're more patient. In other words, I can see something happening in you that I'm able to taste that impacts me more deeply than what I'm able to understand. 
And surely at some point, the gospel revelation that we have must be tasted and touched by those that sit at our dinner table, by those that ride home with us in the car after church. But I've come to discover that we have become adept and skilled at leaving religion in the church and going home and trying to figure it out. And if what you have here is authentic, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your generations, the stranger will know. They'll know. And so now we have to translate the doctrinal revelations in the first session into life. Uh, you know, um, I really think the strength of a leader can be measured not by what their dynamism in the pulpit, but by their, uh, the way they treat the help. I was at having lunch with a guy who wanted me to invest in his uh, orphanage. I think it was in South Africa. Uh, he was a white guy that was running a mission in South Africa, picking up AIDS and HIV orphans and giving them home. And we were talking, he was sharing his vision. And uh, I was just about to say, I'd like to partner with you, but I saw how poorly he treated the server, like she was dirt. And I said, I want no, I'm not going to, we're not, <laughs> we have no fellowship, we have no harmony. Because I'm telling you, how you treat a server, your Christianity is right there. How you treat your spouse, your Christianity is right there. The authenticity of whether or not you possess Pauline revelation, whether or not you are spirit indwelt, is the people that are closest to you. But religion teaches us that people at a distance should get more of our gentleness and courtesy than people that are close to us. You know, whenever we have a homegoing service, we bring the family up front. We put the, the spouse and the children and everything on the front row. You know, why is that? We, when we go to the service, we only see the back of their heads. Somebody say, well, they're grieving and everything else. We don't know. We, we put them up front so that nobody in the congregation can see the rolling of their eyes as we talk about how great the deceased is. And they're like, yeah, we don't know. Somebody gets up and says, oh, Fred was such a good man. He was always so nice to me. He was there every time I needed him. And, and the kid's like, I, I, my dad never spent time with me. Lady gets up and says, oh, Fred was just so sweet. I, I was his assistant for 20 years. He always had a kind word and an encouraging thing. And the wife says, he hadn't paid me an a, compl a compliment in two decades. Um, and it does not please the father that people outside of our home would get more of our service, our patience, our accommodation. Uh, then, you know, Paul even said, uh, uh, let us learn first to show godliness at home. It's a powerful thing. Let us learn first to show piety at home. Um, and a lot of times we preach this gospel of separation, I come to send a sword, and we break family relationships in the name of Christ but truly, and you're not going to be able to maintain every family relationship, but we should teach people how to love and serve their families. Um, my goal, well, first of all, I want to live a long life and fulfill the will of God for my life. But when I'm passed on, I want my wife and my children to say, you thought Mike Smith was a man of God. You didn't know the half of it. Because what he showed you publicly was nothing compared to how much he loved and served us at home. That means something to me. Being applauded by strangers 
but having my family unable to reconcile the person I am on the pulpit and the person I am at home, it's not a goal for me at all. I want my kids to say, look, you all thought my dad was awesome. You guys thought this. He preached all over the world. He was always in these conventions. You thought he was great. You didn't know nothing. My dad was 10 times the man you thought he was. And at some point, we need to let our revelation wash upon our shore enough where it doesn't only affect our zeal in doctrine and preaching, but it transforms every interaction from a drive through to covenant relationships. You know, there's four primary types of relationship. There's uh, acquaintance, association, friend, covenant friend. And you've got to, it is the will of the Father that you show Christ in all those relationships. When I sit down at a table and the server comes over and says, I'm sorry, I'm running late, I'll be here with you in a minute, just I'm busy or whatever. I, was, I say, hey, 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 we're your easy table, don't worry about it. Out of all the tables you've got to worry about in this restaurant, this is not the one that should stress you out. We'll be here when you get here. Why would you do that? Because in a few minutes when that food is there, I'm going to pray over it. And I will not anchor in her mind a family that prays and honors God and cutting words. I'll not let her anchor those two things together. I'll not let him do that. I pray before I go. Lord, I don't know what table I need to sit at, but uh, put me with the right person. Why? Because somebody's getting ready to get blessed. Because when I lay that tip down, you're going to be following me out the building and say, excuse me, sir, will you be coming back again? <laughs> Sorry, what? please sit in my section. Why? Because I'm, I'm going to impact your life. Even when you give me garbage service. Even when you give me garbage service. Because I already figured this out. I'm a millionaire. You're working for God knows how little. Now, if you were 16, I'd say you're on your way somewhere. If you're 55 and struggling and working, who am I to be anything other than kind to you? you got a bad attitude. You know what? When you have a bad attitude with me, I make it my mission to break down whatever wall that is. I say, hey, sister, don't worry about it. We're good. No, we're fine. Y'all need anything? Now, I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to laugh. I'm going to figure out a way to make you smile. I'm going to figure out a way to show you the love of God. I'm going to figure out a way. And, and I watch when they open the little book left at the table and they just shake their head and go on because somebody left them a dollar and a gospel track. Man, forget your gospel track. You're not, even, you're not even qualified to give a gospel track if you've not blown that server's mind with some sort of seed. Amen. Well, I don't have the money to do that. Sure you did. You just spent it on appetizers, uh, two Cokes, and cheesecake. If you had skipped all that stuff, you could have given all that into her life or into his life. Courtesy. I was walking through my kitchen one time and there was a piece of paper on the ground. My wife was doing something. She said, Mike, pick that up. And I reached down, I picked it up, put it up. She said, Baby, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mike, would you please pick that up? I said, Oh, don't worry about it. She said, No, I don't want to talk to you like this. I said, Baby, we've been married, don't worry about it. She said, No, I refuse just because I can get away with speaking to you that way. To speak to you that way. You deserve my kindness and my courtesy. So, who you are in your pulpit is going to spring out of who you are behind closed doors. And a lot comes out of your mouth. That's information. But there's something dripping off your life that's impartation. Amen. And that's coming out of your organic relationship with Christ, which is overflowing to those in your home, which is overflowing to those you minister to. And until you can align those together and see that they're all the same thing, you don't have a... You're missing something. You're missing something. Uh, I know we've got young years here, so I'll kind of be careful on this, but how's your physical relationship with your spouse? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's important. 
um, ought to be happening all the time. All the time. You know, daily, multiple times a day, a couple times a week, whatever, but this take it or leave it thing, there's something wrong. God did not make you to not be interested in a physical relationship with your spouse. And if that's happening, you're being stolen from. And you need to sit down and talk and work through whatever drama you need to work through to have that as a physical expression of the tangible goodness of God in your life. I've talked to pastors who've not been intimate with their spouse in over a year. There's no way that should be going on. Well, it's kind of difficult for us. Then sit down, two chairs in the Holy Spirit, before God, discuss whatever you've got to discuss, ask the counselor to come and minister to you, talk, scream, state, restate, rehear, recap, repeat, hear again, repent, cry, stand up, throw stuff, sit back down, I'm sorry, lean on each other, get comforted by the very person that hurt you, hurt, comfort the very person that you've been hurt by, work through all that stuff, but we will not allow our union to be stolen from. Why? Because if you're a pastor of a church, your love relationship has to spill over in that congregation. I'm giving them good doctrine. Yeah, but they're, they can only imitate what you model. Uh, I was raised by a single mom for the first few years, I guess at this time, first quarter of my life, I guess, first um, when I was in my single digit years. Uh, and by a single mom, my mom didn't have tools. My dad drank himself up and was kind of out of my life when I was a baby, my birth father. And then, so we were on our own for a while. And when, um, when we would fix something, we didn't have tools. We didn't have a hammer. When she wouldn't hang a picture, she said, go in my room and get a shoe. So I'd go in her room and get a shoe and she'd use that shoe to hang up that picture. Or, or we didn't have a screwdriver. She'd go get a butter knife. I get a butter knife and she'd do it. So we never had tools growing up. So then she remarried and this guy shows up with all these tools, toolboxes and saws and table saws and drills and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, well, we're going to go out back and build a fort. I said, man, let's go build a fort. I never built no fort before. I never had, you know, did that kind of stuff. My mom certainly didn't build a fort. So I, uh, I went out back and he, we're building this thing and he hands me a hammer. He says, you nail this stuff in. And he hands me this hammer and I grab the hammer like this and he goes hammering in and I'm punching the nail. And he looked at me and said, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing, I'm hammering in. He said, no, no, hold it down here, get the way. And, and they realized right then, you can put a tool in anybody's hand, but with no one to model the execution of that tool. You can go and preach on Ephesians 5 all day long and marriage and Colossians and all that kind of stuff, but you need to be modeling what it means to be in love. Modeling what it means to serve. Modeling what it means to put each other first. Modeling what Pastor Tavi was talking about yesterday, intentional equity. As I was sitting here, Pastor Tavi was preaching, she was up here talking and you could see in the back on the chair there, Pastor Bala had his glasses on and his notebook out and he was typing and putting things in his notes. And, and I, I snapped a picture of it, I put it on Instagram, and I said, you know, in the best marriages, spouses alternate between teacher and student. That just because she was talking didn't mean he couldn't learn. He had his Bible out and was taking notes just like everybody else. Those are the little things that people catch in your church. You think all they're hearing is their sermon? They are hearing, they are hearing and seeing a thousand interactions. They see how your children are around you. They see how they interact with you. Uh, speaking again, I'm, this thing is my, my second or third Tunde Bakri story. I think I'm limited to five by my contract. So if I, if I go over, don't tell Brother Bakri. But uh, he was preaching one time and he said that uh, he was having lunch with Dr. Summerall before he died. And uh, he was sitting in Brother Summerall where they were sitting having this powerful meeting. And he said right in the middle of the meeting, Dr. Summerall's kids busted the door open in the dining room. 
walked right up to their dad and granddad and climbed on his lap and were kissing all over him and uh, just talking to him. And Brother Bakker said, it was like I wasn't even there. And he said, I froze. He said, because when I grew up, he said, we stood, at the, we stood by the table while my dad ate. And if the food was good, there was peace. If not, it was trouble for my mom. And when he was done and he left and we sat down. And he said, I realized I had preached all around the world and had never seen a way a man should interact with his family. The gentleness. See, a lot of times we preach fatherhood out of an Old Testament revelation of God. If you don't have a new covenant revelation with God, you're not even ability to teach on fatherhood. If you teach on the angry God looking at children who are not righteous and not acceptable, you'll imitate that. But if you look at a new covenant revelation, Philip said, if you could just show us the Father, be okay. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and you never see Jesus harsh or rejecting or, or cold or punishing. If you have not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and left with a revelation of speaking up for women, you didn't read it right. Look at the number of times he says, leave her alone, let her alone, leave her alone, let her alone. I mean, he's, he's, why? Because male oppressive systems that said, she's a this woman, she's a that, if he knew what kind of woman. Leave her alone, she's done this for my death, leave her, don't touch her. If you know, kind of, he said, don't worry about what kind of woman she is, neither do I condemn thee. I mean, it's all about children. They kept the children, he was always speaking up for women and children, women and children. He didn't read it right. You need to go back up again because you read it, but Jesus wasn't unveiled. Go back and read it again. Because if you don't see him speaking up for the weak, if you don't see him speaking up for the marginalized, you didn't read it. You read it to fill up your, your quiver of dynamic preaching instead of how it should transform you as a man. I, you serve each other. Kind of and I are like a comedy duo trying to figure out who can outserve the other one. Who can outserve? <laughs> Again, I know we have young ears. One, <laughs> one, of, our, one of our biggest things is, is the inhaling and exhaling after we have mommy and daddy time <laughs> um, of you know, taking care of the other one afterwards. I, I love staying up. Uh, uh, for 20, 30, 40 minutes just rubbing her back and, 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 and tracing my fingers over her skin. And, and you know, when, when, when we first got married, it was a, you know, I could go from her shoulder up over her hips and, and down her leg. Well, we've been married a while. She's had a few kids. She's, 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 we're both a little heavier than we are, so it's not like this. It's kind of like, you know, but like this, but we, we're still having a good time. It's, it's, it's a more advanced ski slope that I'm on, but it's the same thing. It's, you know, it's the same thing. But I take my little phone and put on my little songs, and it's not Hezekiah Walker or Hillsong. That's not what I'm listening to. Uh, you know, when we're being, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to, it could be, you know, uh, it could be anything. It could be, I don't know. Or, yeah, I'm saying, I don't even know what I've got in here. I'm trying to find out. Yeah, I am a sinner. Yeah, show, show me. Yeah. I'm trying to even see what my last, well, now here's what I listened to last. Uh, well, this is, so this is what I fell asleep on last night. You read this here. What are all these here? You see that? You see that with your glasses? This is, this is all my, this is all my, uh, these are all my John 1, John 2. I always go to sleep with the scriptures on. They play all night long. But before that, let me see what I was listening to before that. So that's Matthew. Look at all this. These are my, uh, so I was listening to, this is the Amplified Bible. So this is what I woke up to, Second Timothy chapter 2 here. Controversy over words, which does no good but upsets and undermines the faith of the hearers. But, I, but I can assure you. See if I can find my stuff here. Where's my recently played stuff? 
recently, recently. Well, I got I got all sorts of stuff in here. I got Bob Marley in here. I got Van Morrison in here. Got, uh, yeah, it's the devil. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> got Alicia Keys. So, but uh, I have entire playlist. This entire playlist is called After. That's what the playlist is After. And it's just it's just when I lay down next to her and and wait for her to fall asleep as I as I trace my fingers over her skin and and, and so this is Alicia Keys. You know, I listen to this and it'll be real quiet in the nighttime. And so, you know, and, um, um, and, and, and I try to stay awake. It's all right. You, it'd be okay. I, uh, I try to stay awake and I ask her in the morning, what song did you make it to? She said, well, I remember there was this one. Remember there was that one. I said, we did 10 songs because I'm as fascinated by her today as I was on the day that we went into that honeymoon suite. She's not ceased to be amazing to me. Uh, G.K. Chesterton says the man who, the only man who wants more than one woman is the man who has ceased to appreciate the miracle of the one that he has. He said it's like asking for five different entrances to Eden. Once you're in Eden, who cares how many doors there are? And she's fascinating to me. Her body's fascinating to me. Her skin is fascinating to me. We've been married 17 years. And, to, and just last night, actually last night I fell asleep. She said, turn over, just, just lay down and go to sleep. I know you've been gone all day, you've got to preach tomorrow. She said, let me put you to sleep. And I'll just lay there and she'll curl up to me. And we got a big king bed, but we sleep on only half of it. We could sleep. Uh, we, as a matter of fact, when I proposed to her, I played the, um, uh, what's that, Bob Mar- Is this love? Is that the song that was it? Or it says, uh, he, says, well, uh, he says, we'll shell the shelter of, our, of my single bed where Jah provides the bread, right? And uh, I said, that's, that's all I want. I said, me and you will spend the rest of our lives together. No more goodbyes and see you tomorrow. It's just good nights and good mornings. And so we curl up on one little side of the bed and wrap up and twist up. And she just hold me and talk to me. And then I'll fall asleep. And then this morning before I got out of bed, she was laying there sleeping. And before she woke, I'm just speaking blessings over her because I'm still fascinated. Her shoulders still fascinate me. Her legs still fascinate me. Her hair, her breasts, everything's still fascinating to me. Never gotten old. I just watch her changing, and she's changing another room, and I'm stuck just looking. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching you change. She said, you've seen this a thousand times. I said, I've seen the sunrise a thousand times. I still think that's cool, too. I don't know. I'm getting bored of this. But now that that passes down to your children, and your children should grow up with a sound revelation of of the, the love relationship that you have. They ought not think that because you have Christ, you don't enjoy the beauty of marital relationship. There's a saying that says, if you're not grossing your kids out, you're not raising them right. And Connie and I, Connie and I can't even make dinner without kissing on each other. And my, my child's like, stop, stop, stop. I was like, she's like, you guys need to get under control. I said, trust me, this isn't control. If you weren't here, it'd be a whole different level, I can assure you. My daughter, she's 14, or she'll be 14 in a couple weeks here. She had her eighth grade graduation party at our house. The kids were swimming in the night before. She says, look, well, my friends are over here. Don't be kissing on each other while you're cooking lunch. I said, okay, we'll behave. We'll behave. And, uh, and I was like, I told my daughter, you're such a dork. I said, your friends, they need to know that, that people can be saved and, and really love each other. And, da, da, da. and dad, don't be trying to talk to my friends because they're not going to like you or whatever. I said, whatever, whatever, whatever. They all left. The next day, Louis like, well, I went back to school. All my friends think you're pretty cool. I said, because I am cool. It's you. They all know. I know. You're the only one that doesn't know that I'm, that I'm the baddest dad on the planet. But you'll catch up. You'll catch up. But kind of nice serve. 
It's a joy to serve. I'm not her parent. I'm her partner. I'm her servant. Connie has a lot of flaws. I have a lot of flaws. I'm a very smart person. I do a lot of things well, and there's some things I can't do at all. And she just laughs at me. She's like, you really are incapable of doing the simplest stuff. I'm like, I'm trying. One time, i never gone to a doctor. She says, you got to go to a doctor. I said, what do I do? She says, you got to get your checkup. What do I do? Got to call the number and get an appointment. I can do that. I called and got the appointment. I went and I said, yeah, I'm here for my 315. Uh, she said, well, have a seat. We'll be with you. So I turn around. There's 65 people in the waiting room. I said, how long is it going to be? She said, about 45 minutes. I said, no, I, ha I have an appointment. It's a 315. She says, I know you do, and you're here. We got you signed in. We'll get to you in a minute. I called Connie. I said, they're telling me i got to wait at the doctor. What do you mean, wait at the doctor? She said, oh, is this Mikey coming to the real world where everything doesn't go real fast? Yeah, you have to wait. You, this, not everybody knows you're the man of God. Sit down and wait. So I walked up to the lady. I said, here. I said, I've got work to do. I said, this is my cell number. I said, I'm going to be in my car working. Can you call me? when it's my turn, and the lady just looked at me like, I am not calling you, sit down when you hear your name come up. I, it just, it was overwhelming to me. I just, going to a doctor, I, I didn't even know what to do. I, I just, I, I don't know why. I can figure out very complex stuff, but stuff like that just, she says, Mike, I need you to call the electric company and get the electric turned on at the new house. I, I'm like, press phone? They're like, hello, can I help you? I have no idea what I want here. I have a house and I need power. They're like, are you an idiot? Was this a kid? What's going on here? There's things I just struggle with. But Connie has things that she doesn't do well. Um, she told me when we met, she said, look, I forget stuff. I'll leave my keys. I'll leave my phone. She said, I've been hassled and yelled at my whole life. I don't need to be yelled at by you. I'm not, I, I, I forget stuff. I said, well, okay, thanks for telling me. I had no idea how deep, uh, what I was signing on for. I went into it eyes wide open. The half had not been told. We're leaving them all one day. She goes, oh, I forgot my beeper. I was like, what do you mean? You forgot your beeper. We had been there hours. She says, it's in the dressing room. I said, we've been in 15 dressing rooms. We have to go back one by one. And right before I responded, she said, no, you knew. I did. She doesn't put her phone on a charger. She doesn't put her iPad on a charger. I put the keys where I come home. They go in the same place every time. I go to leave, there's no keys. Connie, where's, your, where's my key? Oh, I took it. I put it somewhere. Where's your key? I took it. I put it somewhere. So we have neither one of the keys to the car. They're somewhere. And, and, and I remember I used to get frustrated. And the Lord said, you're not her parent. Serve her. And so now what I do at night, I go through. I find her iPad. Make sure it's connected. Find her keys. Make sure they're placed down. Find her phone. She'll fall asleep. It'll be on the floor. My God, woman, put the thing here. Why? And she wake up. She says, oh, you put my phone on the charger. Thank you. So sweet. Yeah, because my mission in life is to serve you. You're not my child who I correct. You're my spouse who I serve. Why? Because she's a very accomplished, very successful, runs businesses, raises my children, had my child, given herself to me. She doesn't need an additional parent telling her what all she should remember. She's got a partner who serves her where she's weak and helping her be strong. And I have a partner who on my way out today, I had a flat tire, this and that and this and that. I have to call the thing, get service. I'm like, I got it. Just go preach. I got it. And she had everything done. The tire changed. She got the people to do it. She got this thing. She got the Cadillac service. She got all this kind of stuff. She got it. And she's like, let me just ease burdens. She and I fight not to dominate. We fight to serve. And when that's how you connect with one another, it'll spill over to your children. It'll spill over to your church. The last thing I'll tell you is this. 
Pastor Taffy talked about it. I know we've run long. This is my last thing. And then maybe some questions. Um, who's in charge? The Holy Ghost. Connie and I don't want my plan or her plan. We want the mind of the Lord. Your spouse should be your tiebreaker in life. One of the most powerful roles a spouse can play is the role of tiebreaker. I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And Connie goes, uh, I'll say, hey, I need to run by here and I need to do this. I'm trying to figure out, should I do it today or should I just make the trip the other day? I can't figure it out. She goes, go here and, and just do that on Thursday. Thank you, baby. Because there's a million decisions we make a day. And you don't realize when you're married how much two become one and you make those decisions together. But one of the things we had to realize before we could enter in a place of pursuing the mind of the Lord together is we had to realize our own fallibility. That we had to get out of the blame game of, well, we went your way and look where we are. You said we thought we should go. I said, what do you think about vacation? Well, I was thinking we could go down to the islands. Well, I was going to go up to New York. I don't know. Okay, Connie, if that's what you feel, we'll go for it. And if we go down the island and it rains for five days, none of us have the liberty to go. Well, this was your choice. Why? Because I can miss it just as much as she can. She can miss it just as much as I can. And you know what that does? Produces liberty. I got in trouble when I realized my wife was coming to me on uh, five times a day on the most basic questions. Hey, should I get my hair done Thursday or Friday? I don't know, whatever day you want to. Okay, I was thinking Thursday, maybe Friday. What do you think? I was like, Friday, good. Then she would come back to me the next day. She would say, hey, I, I was going to um, uh, uh, go to get the lunch for the kids, but I didn't know if I should do hamburger helper or this. I was like, I don't, what, who cares? Just pick something. I don't know. And I finally realized I had engineered her own insecurity because I was constantly questioning what she decided to do. It got her so afraid to confidently do anything. She would come home and I would say, what'd you do? She said, well, I stopped by the store. I said, well, why'd you do that? We're going to go out 20 minutes later. You're right. Or she would come and say, I didn't stop by the store. I said, why'd you do that? Well, we're going to go out 20 minutes later. I said, yeah, but we'll have ice cream. We can't have it. You're right. I had criticized her to the point she lost all confidence in her own ability to make the most pay. She's a college graduate business owner, very successful woman, and my constant second guessing paralyzed her. And so I had to re-empower her who had been abused, assaulted, manipulated all her life. I became a voice of further hurt and attack on her self-worth Instead of becoming a lifter, I had become a leaner. Instead of giving her worth on her competence, I had just become another voice of telling her I had partnered with the devil and tearing her down instead of partnering with God to build her up. And from now on, it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. I said, well, you know what? You're capable. You got it. I said, baby, if we go that way and it turns out to be closed, and she's like, but I don't want to make a mistake. I said, but baby, it doesn't matter. Even if you make a mistake, you don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I could say, st I could say stay here and it'd be right. I could say go and it'd be wrong. Let's get it together. Why? Because if we end up in the middle of a storm in a boat, it's not who put us there. It's we're here together. Let's believe God and paddle this thing and get us on out. And the day we stop criticizing who was in charge and who got us in that situation and discover no matter what situation we're in, it's a situation we're in together. That's when, we, that's when we realize that agreement is higher than submission. Agreement is higher than submission. Yeah. So, man, we're the highest people on planet Earth, man. We, my life is blessed. My children is best, blessed. I get, she gives me sweet loving each night and day. She, I give her more loving than she can possibly handle. Uh, listen, we always think men are sexual beings. Don't be ridiculous. Women are five times more sexual than men. You know, when, when, when God was giving out gifts, he was like, all right, Adam, Eve, which one of you wants to be able to pee standing up? 
And Adam was like, that's me, excuse me, I'll take that. And turned around. And God was like, okay, Eve, I guess you get multiple orgasms. Here you go. And Adam was like, no, no, why did, no, no, why did I do that? And the idea that men are sexual and that women should orbit them is a lie. Start with Paul, who said, women, you have appetites. Husband, meet those appetites. Men, you have appetites. Wife, meet those appetites. But our whole premarital counseling is perverted. We tell a young woman, your husband will really have some desires, and if you're a good wife, you'll accommodate those desires. Paul never preached that. He preached that the wife had just as much appetite and desire as a man, but culture has torn us down and thrown so much gasoline on male sexuality and so much water on female sexuality, we think the man is the center of the sexual universe and the wife orbits him, and until you renew your mind to Paul, if you really get back to God's original intent, you'll find that your wife is far more dynamic than you are. I realize Connie has this unlimited bank account, and I'm on a very managed budget. She's like, we ought to go again. I'm like, no, let me check my balance. Uh, I can't, no, yeah, I, she's got a black American Express with no limit. I'm like, I'm, I'm bouncing checks here, man. I need some water and some Gatorade stat. I am in trouble right here. But you know what? The privilege, you know, the Old Testament, the old church, up until, up until the mid-1900s, the mid-20th century, used to include this phrase in their wedding vows. With my body, I thee worship. And you know what? That was not the woman speaking to the man. It was the man speaking to the woman. With my body, I thee worship. And to acknowledge the wisdom of God's design for a woman and to make love to my wife in reverence and awe of the way God created her. And that by serving her unlimited capacity for pleasure until she cannot accommodate anymore is actually an acknowledgement of the splendor of the way God created her. The way I treat my wife is an expression of my worship and my acknowledgement to the wisdom of God. And that's in the bedroom, out of the bedroom, at the dinner table, at the <clears throat> I, I bring her plate and take her plate. I do her dishes. I, I, I get her a drink. I get her a refill. And we're constantly fighting. And it's an inhale and exhale, this dance. Mike, sit down. Let me. Connie, sit down. You've had a long day. You've had a long day. I didn't do anything but preach. You've been here with the kids. And all this other kind of stuff. And I don't maximize my importance or minimize hers. We are both joining together as partners in life, divvying up the load. It's not 50-50. It's I give 100 and you give 100. And we pour into life to each other. And your standing in your pulpit ability to impact these people that you preach to generationally, it's going to start right there in the way you connect with and relate to each other. That's all the time that I have uh, for that to everybody. <clears throat> My, my young brother came right back in on time. He's like, did I miss anything? Yeah, you were out at the right time. You were out at the right time. God bless you. Uh, I know we're a little in overtime. Any questions at all? Uh, this is a time to, about anything, I'm getting ready to wrap up and head home to my bride here. Any thoughts? Any questions? I know you all are ready to go. Anyone? Anywhere? Yes, sir. You had a question? No. It's coming. Yeah. Got it. Sure. So, from a to almost always eat 
the church. Sure. So to hear you, I was going to jump on you and give you a call. Is this from an evangelical preacher? I really appreciate you, and I wanted you to know that you really suck me to this. Praise God. Praise God. <clears throat> Let me add this on there. I am raised from multi-generational alcoholics and racists. When I was 12 years old, one of the patriarchs of my family, there was, uh, we had a multi-acre uh, property, and he was there. He's an alcoholic. He died of alcoholism. Pulled me aside, and there was a guy, a contractor working in my yard, and he whispered in my ear and said, you see that guy out there? He's a black gentleman. He says, no matter what he owns, where he lives, or what he drives, he'll never be as good as you because he'll always be, uh, in, you know, N-N-I-G-G-E-R, not G-G-A, but G-G-E-R. And he said, uh, and he said, you remember that I told you that. And I realized, in hindsight, that grooming thought of it's not a matter of character. We say we judge by character, but not really. We say we judge by accomplishment, not really. He tried to seal in my mind that there's no possible emergence this man can ever have to be the same human being you are. That was my grandfather. My grandmother was married to him and had ministered to people on the street and had led a black woman to Christ and brought her to church. And they said, she can get saved at the altar, but she cannot be baptized here. This is in the 40s or the 50s. My grandmother told the whole church down and left and said, you have no God in you at all. So she's married to this deeply racist man who only in the last year of his life got out of religion and came to Christ for real and renounced it. But my parents and aunts and uncles were all raised in that dual household. I'm the first generation of American born after civil rights in this country, parented by parents who lived before. But all of that that was around me, what's in our environment is not dangerous unless we ingest it. So you can be raised in all sorts of hatred, but it's what you ingest. I have spent the last decade of my life in citizens' rights, civil rights, uh, recipient from uh, Dr. King, Trailblazer Award, etc., because it's my revelation of Christ that has transformed me. I reject the idea that Christianity and white supremacy can be intermingled. I reject it wholeheartedly because the Jesus I met transformed me, took me from an all-white world in Central Florida, put me to an all-black world on the south side of Atlanta, and I lived as a white kid among a 20,000-person black congregation for a decade, and I understood the humanity of my black brothers then pastored in Jacksonville, and finally understood the systemic oppression. And I've spent the last decade of my life fighting against that, from TED Talks to addressing systemic racism and entertainment, uh, on and on and on. It is not me, it is not where I come from. My people come from the hills of Kentucky, and, 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 and uh, uh, deep racism. Jesus of Nazareth has transformed me. And I cannot, I cannot possibly be that same person again. So I don't even know, I don't even know if I'm qualified to be an evangelical. They'd probably throw me out because they consider me a heretic because I believe in prosperity, etc. Uh, 
But I don't think, I think, I think a lot of people say they met Christ. I think they met his third cousin, Raul. They've never met Jesus. They have no idea who he is. And so uh, if you see any good thing in me, God is the author and source of what has taken place in my life. <clears throat> Yes, sir. Okay, so um, I dropped out of my senior year in high school. I was in a private school. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be now. This is 30 years ago. So um, it was about six or $7,000 a year then. So whatever that number would be, $15,000 a year or whatever. Uh, my parents, uh, my mom divorced my birth father when I was one and a half. She had $900 and a couch. We moved in with her parents in Florida, and she started a business. And within a couple of years, she was a multimillionaire. She refused to take me to church because she was made to go in the environment that I described earlier. And as soon as she got 18, said, I'll never come back. Went through in the end of the 80s with the savings and loan. She was in advertising and marketing for software companies, etc went through a tremendous financial shaking and said, I refuse to be one of those people that turn to God in a difficult time. We had adopted three children. We didn't. They had adopted three children. She was putting those three girls to bed. They were one, two, and three, year old, three years old. She did something she had not done in 20 years, walked out of their bedroom to the bedroom across the hall and prayed. The Holy Spirit filled the room. She was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why that's significant is she had been raised in an anti-Holy Spirit denomination all her life and was told anybody that speaks in tongues is of the devil. Refused to tell my parents anything about it. Refused to tell me anything about it or my dad. But she said something happened to me in that room. We started noticing she was watching television and reading the Bible. We had no idea what this meant. She came to Atlanta on a business trip with a $50 billion company on the north side of Atlanta, the King and Queen building up there towards Marietta. She was doing a, a financial meeting up there. On the way back home to the airport, uh, she hopped into a limousine. It was the man's first day on the job. She was his first pickup. She had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and told one Christian about it. The Christian was a, uh, a denominational preacher who said, that's of the devil. Tongues is not of God. What happened to you was made up in your mind. She never said anything. Riding back home, on the way home, or riding back to the airport, this limousine driver, first day on the job, first pickup, started talking to her and said, this isn't really my job. What I do is... Uh, work as a prayer counselor at my church. This is Marketplace. Driving the limousine. 
She said, well, that's very interesting. Can I tell you a story? And he began to tell the story about the bedroom. And he turned to her and said, lady, why are you denying a gift that God has given you? You've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it is of God. So she's shaken in this limousine, does not know what this means. She gets out at the airport. She says, can I have your number so that I can call you? My husband and I will have questions. He said, he was a black gentleman. He gave it to her. He thought, I'll never hear from this white lady again. She thought, I'm never going to call this limousine driver again. A few weeks later, a businessman from Miami came up to Orlando to meet with her. And he was talking to her about the gospel. It was the other, only other Christian she had met in business. She told him about the limousine driver. This businessman said, you must get him to your house. What do I have to do to get him to your house? You need to have, talk to that businessman. You need to talk to that limousine driver. You need to talk to that limousine driver. The man pushed him so much, she found the number, called the man and his wife, booked them tickets to come down to our house for three days, went to the office the next day to tell the businessman from Miami he did not show up to the office. She called the hotel where he was staying. They said, we have nobody here by that name. She called his company in Miami. They said, nobody here has ever worked for us by that name. But now she's got this limousine driver coming to the house that she didn't even want in her house. He walks in. He's sitting in the living room. I'm not saved. He and his wife are talking to my mom and dad. And I came home from a night of partying, walked in, went to the do the thing. He hugged me. It was be another year before I met Pastor Dollar. I walked out of the room, and the limousine driver says, I realize why we met in the limousine. It has nothing to do with you. It's about that boy. My mom said, devil boy, drinker boy? No, it's not about him. She said, that boy. He said, that boy is why I'm here. Fast forward a year later, I have the conversation on a Friday night. I get called in the ministry. I write Pastor Dollar a thing. He says, come stay at my house. My life has changed. That's July of 1990. I go back to school. My parents' financial business was shaking. They could not pay the tuition. I was thrown out of school after two weeks. I was either going to go to public school, but I said, that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called into ministry. I left my senior year, never graduated. Went through World Changers School of Ministry, graduated, became a youth pastor, and every other former minister all the way up to chief of staff. Did that for multiple years, and at the height of the prosperity, favor, I was in multiple businesses. I had a dream. I heard from the Lord that now is my time to step out. I went to Pastor Dollar. He held me in his chest in his jacket lapel as I wept. I wept down his chest. He wept down his cheeks. His tears fell on my head. I said, I do not want to leave you, my father. He said, if I keep you here, it will be preventing the will of God for your life. He said, there are planes in Jacksonville that are circling that cannot land until you open this church. Destinies are held up. We went, my wife and I, four other couples followed us. We started the church. Connie went to get a job as a waitress. We were making a half million dollars a year in all our business interests. We turned them all over. We had nothing. Connie went and got a job in a waitress. In her $3,000 Escada outfit, in her $100,000 Mercedes, she applied for a waitress job. The man said, lady, you're wasting my time. She said, my husband and I have no money. We have no way to live. I told Connie, I said, what if this church grows? She said, Mike, if it grows, it's not going to happen instantly. We're going to have to have a way to live. I said, do whatever you want. She, joined the, she started working at the waitress thing, serving pancakes and broke down crying, knowing that God had called us there not to serve pancakes, but to preach the gospel. We opened the church December 1st. In one year, we had 700 people. In three years, we had 4,000 people. The church grew and grew. And as I was there, as I was talking to my brother, I began to get insight into systemic issues in the church versus as the church. The church was mixed. It was 40, 50%, 40% white, 40% black, and about 20% Latino. Well, we had some uh, East Asians and... and uh, um, uh, Mideast people, but primarily. And as I began to teach on systemic issues, the white population began to shrink and shrink. 
and I noticed the conflict, but I couldn't escape it in my heart. I pastored, I grew, I planted churches. I have spiritual sons all across this world. I was in line to do exactly what I had seen from Brother Copeland, exactly what I had seen from Pastor Dollar. Once you start a thing, you do it. What I learned from Oral, you do it until you breathe out your last breath. And in prayer, my wife was at a women's conference and God showed her a vision of us living in Atlanta. She did not speak it to me. I was at work one day and had a vision of us living to Atlanta, living in Atlanta. What does that even mean? How can we do this? We can't just leave the church. This doesn't make sense. You can't just walk out on thousands of people and say, I'm done. You cannot do that. We put it off for a month. We wept. We said, we'll never talk of this again. We wept. My wife came home and she said, the more we say we're not going to do it, I can't lie to myself. We must obey God. I called my elders together. I called my parents together. They wept. I called my elders together and said, I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to have to shut the church down. But before I could open it, my spiritual son, who had been with me since the beginning, he, I had first met him. He was washing my car. He washed my car in Atlanta, followed me down to Jacksonville, served as a member, as a minister, as an elder. His wife burst into tears and runs out the door. I said, where is she going? He burst into tears. I said, what is going on? He said, the Lord has already told us you will be leaving and that we cannot go. And that when you step away, we are to take it up. I said, I said, what are you talking about? He said, we were on a couple's retreat in the Bahamas. The year before, we had walked off the boat. A complete stranger came up to me and called me pastor. He said, I'm not a pastor. He said, yes, you are. He said, you're a pastor. You have a church. And uh, he says, I don't have a church. I'm an associate minister. He says, no. He says, somebody's going to give you a church, and it'll be a white man that gives it to you. And he said, it was a year later. I was sitting there. They had breathed it to no one until I sat in that room. I said, son, everything I have, I lay at your feet if you will take it up. This man had traveled with me all over the world. And he said, the last time he dropped me off at the airport, the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm getting ready to take your father from you. You will no longer say you're in Jacksonville because you're following that man. You're in Jacksonville because I have told you to stay here. So I left, turned the church over to him, the man that washed my car. I didn't announce to anybody who was going to be the pastor until I preached my last sermon on our 13th church anniversary. I said, thank you all. I've done all that I can do. We wept together. I said, now I have one more thing. Derek and Z stand up. The entire church leapt to their feet. They already knew who God had put in place. I laid hands on them and stepped off the pulpit, and that was done. The entire thing was turned over to him. I just preached there. That was three years ago for the first time this year. It is the most powerful transfer of anointing and grace. They have a new building. They have new programs. He's taken everything that I could ever have thought of to another level of excellence to the point where now I am learning from him. And me, I have rented a house like Paul in Rome. I sit in my house every day. I write and I meet with whoever comes by. I have no direction, no anything other than go to Atlanta. Why I would leave Samaria and go to Gaza, I don't know. There are things that I feel, pullings in certain directions, certain places I'm supposed to go, but right now, I wasn't even going to go to World Changers. I, was, I did a lot of consulting work with professional sports organizations, etc. I was on my way to the Super Bowl uh, uh, to hook up with the NBA, to take through the discipleship and dealing with systemic racism through all the organizations, and on my way there, uh, they were having the 30th anniversary, and the Lord said, you have a spiritual connection here. Do not go to that game. I said, I will not go to that game. I went to the church. They called me and said, Pastor Dollar, I want you to impart to his children, thank them for 30 years of supporting him in ministry. I did, and I left out. My son said, why would we go to any other church when our spiritual connection is here? I went to the dome. World Changers sat on the back row of the balcony as far out of the way as I could and asked no one for anything. And I sit there to this day. If my spiritual father says, I need you, great. Other than that, I don't know anything. Banks said, hey, would you come talk? I come talk. I have no job, no money, no direction, 
no entity for the first time in my life, the Lord said, I'm going to teach you the difference between the apostolic voice and the apostolic entity. All you know how to do is build things, but you have no idea how to live off the apostolic voice. You have to learn how to step away from Ephesus and be who I've called you to be in Rome because your day in, day out days of pastoring are over. Now I'm going to call you to speak to spheres. So I sit. People from Washington, D.C. come and sit. Pastors, entertainers, apostles, they come and sit and I serve. That's all I do. I have no nonprofit, no 501c3. No, I have a, a book that I wrote on sonship. I'm writing books on married sex. I sit and wait. For what? But I have detached that when I had this entity and this staff and all these millions of dollars coming in, none of that was me. When I turned that over and woke on a Sunday and woke up on Monday, I'm the same man I was. I carry something inside me that will go to any place, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, secular, anywhere else, I'm still the same person. And for the first time in my life, I've not had an entity. I'm just me. So my kids, I don't know what's going to happen, but all I know is I get to see them every day. I'm going to leave here and go see them now. I don't know what God is going to call me into next, but this season is strategic for the Lord to speak and show me. And I just got a text today from Apostle said, hey, what are you doing next year at this time? I'll be here. I could be in D.C., could be in L.A., could be in uh, Lagos. I have no idea. But I am detached from everything and flow completely with what God says. So if I had stayed there at church another 10 years, all of my stuff was set. I didn't need anything. I had retirements, trust, and everything. All of it was gone. Pastor Dollar told me when I meet to lunch, he said, I'm so glad to know there are men in the earth who will step away from comfort to do what God has told them to do. That is exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and people say, well, didn't God tell you this? I don't know what I, I can only tell you what I heard and what I'm hearing. And I wept. I wept when I stepped away from that church. But I said, I will not let my soul tie hold me in a place. So I'm here and I don't know how long. Pastor Dollar says, I don't want to bother you, but can I use you? I said, you are my spiritual father. Use me. Would you mind talking to the men? Would you mind talking to this? No problem. Would you mind looking at this? Would you mind reading this? Sir, I serve. Well, I don't want to burden you. You never burden me. You're a gift to me. But for how long that'll be, I don't know. I do know this, that I've had multiple engagements that I've had to cancel in the past 30 days because I just don't feel that I should be going. I'm not trying to build an itinerary. I'm not trying to build up a schedule, a thing. I don't have to have a website. and a, I don't have to have any of that. I still have hundreds of spiritual sons around the world that I am part to sitting at my desk. But that's all I have. And you know what? Brother, I've never missed a thing. I'm, I'm, I'm better than I've ever been, more prosperous than I've ever been. I've had spiritual sons come out of nowhere to say, you will never lack because of the equity you've invested in all this impartation. I am, I am at total peace. I am, I'm like Cain and Kung Fu. Any of y'all remember that show Kung Fu where the guy just walked the earth? I just walked the earth trying to find some place to do good until, until God shows me the next thing. And that's, that's three years in about two minutes or three minutes. So that's where I'm at. Apostle, thank you very, very, very much. God bless you all. Um, thank you all. And online, I love you all. I'm not sure who all is there. Pastor Sharon, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Why don't we just stretch forth our hands towards this man, this vessel of God. And just pray in the spirit. Just pray in the spirit. Don't whisper, pray in the spirit, please. They gave me a
Lord, we give you praise. We honor, we bless your name. For the vessel that you have preserved, that you have kept. Oh, that you are using mightily, oh God. To extend frontiers of your kingdom, oh Lord. To obey you, to do your will. And we thank you, Father, because it is you, O God, who walk in him, both to do, to will and do of your good pleasure. And this is a testimony. Yes. My God, Father, we thank you. We honor, we bless your name. The one that in abyss eternity, whose name is holy, the invincible and the immortal God, the only wise God, the only true God. Oh God, we thank you for your grace upon your son, oh Lord. We thank you for this investment. Oh Lord, we thank you for this oracle that speaks, oh God, of you, oh Lord, all over the world, oh God. Lord, we've been blessed, we've been strengthened, we've been refreshed, we've been fired up, oh God, Lord, for you. Oh, you are a faithful God. We could see the faithfulness of you, oh Lord, even in his life, oh Lord. We've come to know what service is all about, what humility is all about, what the Spirit is saying, oh God, and how to obey you to the uttermost, oh Lord. All these are more you've invested in. We thank you, Father, for this grace vessel, oh God. Lord, we pray that you continually uphold him and keep him strong. Thank you, Father. He will not be distracted. He will not derail. He will keep standing. Because your grace is sufficient. We honor, we bless your name, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow.